0: other announcements. If I'm missing any, I'm sorry that I am, but we'll try to get to them at the end. Somebody will alert me anyway. Um, I'm going to give you today five decisions that, um, mature believers make five decisions that mature believers make. Do me a favor. If you've not done so, please share the broadcast this morning. This is important because there's a massive difference between immature believers And mature believers, there's a massive difference between mature believers and immature believers. What is that difference? Well, when you are immature, it keeps you, for example, there are things you can't do, things you can't accomplish, things God can't use you to do because you stay in that place of immaturity. Now, it's okay to start there. Everyone starts there. It's not okay to stay there. (laughs) It's a sad thing if you've been a Christian for 25 years and you're still an immature Christian. That's a rough thing. If you've been a Christian for 25 years and you're still an immature uh, Christian, you're not supposed to stay there. And so it's important to understand that uh, as you grow in Christ, there are things you should be doing on a consistent basis that will bring about that immaturity and prove that you're mature. And so I want to show those five to you today. Uh, I'm sure there are more, and as you study the Bible, you'll find more, I'm sure. But I want to give you these five because it's extremely important to understand it if you're going to move into what God's called you to do. If we're talking about 2021 being uh, the most impactful, fruitful year that we've ever had, then we're going to have to make some decisions that get us there. It's not going to automatically happen. It's not going to just drop on us. It's going to happen for the faithful, for the people that are making the decisions to stand in the blessing of God. God doesn't randomly bless people. It doesn't happen just because God sovereignly chose to pour something out on a certain group of people, but not another. No, it happens for the faithful. I always emphasize this because I want people to understand we have a responsibility to take actions that will bring God's blessing. Notice, uh, I I like to use several verses from the uh, Old and New Testament. What does the Bible say in 2 Chronicles 16, 9? The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro across the earth for those whose hearts are turned toward him. One translation says are loyal to him. On whose behalf he will show himself strong and mighty. And so notice there at 2 Chronicles sixteen nine, he's not showing himself strong and mighty for everybody, but for those whose hearts are loyal to him. That's a huge, huge step that our hearts are loyal. He's looking for loyalty. He's looking for faithfulness. And I'm going to give you these five areas where we're called to be faithful uh, in the kingdom It proves maturity and it puts us in position to receive the blessings of God. And so I want to show you this now, give you five. You can put them in the comments. You can write these down, remember them. Uh, The first thing that, and by the way, let me, before I jump into those, let me say it frustrated the apostle Paul when he saw immaturity in the body of Christ. It frustrated him. He wanted to go deeper and couldn't go deeper. I mean, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. I'll start there so you can see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. This is something that truly frustrated the Apostle Paul. He said, but I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not. Ready for it. And even now, you're not yet ready. You see that? For you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy, strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way? So, Paul essentially was saying you're not supposed to behave only as a human, but as somebody who's more than human now. New creatures in Christ Jesus. We're beyond natural humanity. Now we're supernatural individuals. And so it, as you can see there, it frustrated him that he could not address them as spiritual people, but as carnal people, there are carnal Christians, immature Christians, and then there are spiritual Christians or mature Christians. And that's what we're going to cover these five today. And I'm going to show them to you. And some of you say, well, I've, You may have heard some of these before. It's worth repeating, especially in this context, because it shows us very clearly the decisions we have to make. Number one, I want you to put it in the comments. uh, Mature believers versus immature. Mature believers are self-controlled and self-governed. Self-controlled and self-governed, whereas immature believers are not. Mature believers are self-controlled and self-governed, Whereas immature believers are not. Very, very important. That's why I'm making this number one. Even though it's not number one on my notes, it is number one in real life. Because everything else stems from this thought right here. Stems from this thought right here. Self-controlled and self-governed. So important. Self-controlled and self-governed. And so I want you to see it. Very, very important thought. And this, by the way, I always point this out. It is not, by any means, uh, some sort of a self-help message. You cannot be self-controlled without the Holy Spirit. You cannot be self-controlled without the Holy Spirit. How do I know? Because self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And so when Paul lists that in Galatians chapter 5, by the way, which he does, As one of the nine uh, fruit of the Spirit, it's an automatic clue to every one of us that it comes from the Holy Ghost. If it didn't come from the Holy Ghost, then we could just do it in our natural flesh. Nobody can. The Bible says nobody can. The same thing in the book of James when it talks about the tongue. It's an unruly evil that no man can tame, but the Holy Spirit can tame it. See the difference? It's the difference between doing it in your flesh and doing it in the Spirit. We need the Holy Ghost in order to be self-controlled. And mature believers are self-controlled. Notice, without that, without self-control, there's nothing else you can do to please the Lord. Because your flesh does not want to obey the Word of God. Does not want. Yeah, exactly. Kelly said, it makes me think of Zechariah 4:6 when thinking of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And that's exactly right. It isn't by might. It isn't by power. It is by his spirit. So it's, un- it's important to understand that, that only by his spirit, only by his power, can we be truly self-controlled. And the difference is this, is if you're not self-controlled, which is a spirit-led power, there's so many blessings you'll miss out on, so many. Because what will happen is your flesh will take over and you'll do things that are pleasing unto the flesh rather than pleasing unto the Spirit. And then what happens? I'm out of position to be blessed by God because my heart is not in a place of loyalty. It's not in a place seeking Him. And so mature believers uh, walk in and operate in self-control. Now, any of those other uh, of the nine fruit of the Spirit would fall under that category. Because as I've said before, you're not going to do any of those if you're not self-controlled. And so love, you won't walk in love if you don't have self-control. You won't walk in joy if you don't have self-control. You won't walk in peace. All of those things, they fall under the banner or the umbrella of self-control. Amen, Crystal. And so it's important to understand that right off the bat, because even the thing, even the other things I'm going to talk about today, will all be based upon this platform. Uh, everything will be based on this platform. Mikes and PE, good to see you, South Africa. And so, you have to understand that it takes that power. And so, what what is it now? Remember this. Even though, and this is huge, by the way, huge. Even though it is something that the spirit empowers you to do, you still have to do it. I mean, like that, that's such an important thing. Even though it's something the spirit empowers you to do, you still have to do it, which means you still have to take the action, make the choice. You know, sometimes I think sometimes we, we get this understanding like, well, you know, If the Holy Spirit's leading me to do it, he'll just come upon me and he'll just guide me. It doesn't work that way. He doesn't take take control of you or take over. He leads you, he guides you, he directs you, he prompts you, but you have to make the the choice to make that decision. And if you don't, he can talk and talk and talk to you, but you can still choose to not follow that instruction. So it's very important that with self-control... That you know that, and and I love that. I like that it doesn't say spirit control. I love that. Because even though these are fruit of the spirit, I like that it doesn't say, uh, you know, spirit control is a fruit of the spirit. It says self-control. That means beings that are saved, that are new creations, have the ability by the Holy Ghost... To control themselves. I love that. I like that it doesn't say spirit control. It says self-control. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is expecting of His people. Have you ever seen people that are uh, immature? even, Even in the natural realm. I'm not talking about Christians now. Think of people. Think of kids that are immature. How do they act? I mean, look at that. In the natural realm, it's a perfect picture. How do children in the natural realm, react if they're immature. They throw fits, they scream, they pout, they cry. They throw themselves on the floor if they're undisciplined. Why? They're immature. They're immature. What, what do people, even, even young people, what do people do that are immature? They can't control their mouth. They can't control, you know, what they do. They have issues, they have problems with people all the time because they just say whatever's in their mind, and they just tell people off and cuss people out, and they get get in fights, get in problems. Why? Because they're immature. They just do whatever they feel, say whatever they want. And see what I mean? It's the same in the natural realm as it is in the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm, that's the exact same thing immature people will do. They'll just say however they feel. They just talk however they want. They just do whatever they want. They're not controlled in themselves. Do you know, self-controlled people will do what the Bible says. If you don't have self-control, remember this. You'll never, uh, you won't be a giver. You won't be a tither. You won't uh, fast and you won't pray and you won't read the word and you won't be faithful to church. You'll do whatever your flesh wants to do. You'll do whatever your flesh wants to do. And so your flesh will lead you, the Bible teaches, into destruction. Whereas the Spirit will lead you and guide you into a place of profit. We've dealt with that before on the broadcast. Isaiah 48, 17, I'm the Lord your God who teaches you to profit and leads you in the way that you should go. And so the flesh will lead you to destruction and the Spirit will lead you to profit. So whatever choices the Holy Spirit is leading you to make, whatever choices he's leading you to make, he's leading you to make them in order to increase or to build, to go to a greater place, never to diminish or to be destroyed. But then it takes your self-controlled choices to obey the voice of the Spirit. Hallelujah. It takes self-controlled choices to obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. So number one is self-control, and let's deal with that first because it is the first one. Number two, the second thing that we have to, have to deal with, what makes a mature believer versus an immature believer, I'll give you one that's massive in the body of Christ, is double-mindedness, double-mindedness, huge. Go with me to James chapter one, and we pound this scripture as well often, but it's important to hear it. Because one of the things that separates mature believers from immature believers is double-mindedness. Immature believers are double-minded people. Double-minded. They don't stay on one train of thought. They don't stay in one place of belief. Listen to James chapter 1 verses 6 through 8. If we're asking God for something, look at this let that person ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. And so double-mindedness leads to not receiving single-mindedness leads to receiving and I want you to write that in the comments today single-mindedness leads to receiving single-mindedness leads to receiving hello Maria good to have you on today it's very important single-mindedness leads to receiving and that's the problem Is that when you start becoming double minded? I dealt with this a little bit yesterday. I dealt with uh, the story of Peter stepping out of the boat. If you were on the broadcast yesterday, you'll remember that I talked about the fact that Peter fell into the trap of a double minded situation. The Apostle Peter, the disciple, he's on the water with the other disciples in the ship when the storm is going. Jesus comes walking on the water and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call me out to you. And then Jesus, who is the word made flesh, gives him a word and says, come. Peter, by faith, steps out of the boat, starts to walk on the water. And then what happens? Jumps into a place of double mindedness. Double-mindedness. He had his eyes on Christ to start, but then he shifted his gaze to the issue of the storm. And as he did, what happened? He goes to the place of double-mindedness. Yeah, I'm following Jesus, but I'm also worried about this storm. When you started in faith and now you're double-minded because your gaze is on two different things. I'm looking, Christ, storm, Christ, storm, Christ, storm, problems. Because look what happened. Look what what the result was of his double-mindedness. He started off succeeding, but he ended in a place where he began to sink. He began to sink. And so double-mindedness caused him to diminish, to sink, and almost be destroyed. Almost be destroyed. It's a place where you lose out on what God has promised you could have single-mindedness leads to receiving double-mindedness leads to nothing don't let that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord here's my friend Cody love you buddy don't let that person think they'll receive anything of the Lord we have to be very very careful to not become double-minded it's like that that father said to Jesus in the New Testament Mark chapter 9 uh Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. <laughs> it's like you either believe or you don't. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We either believe or we don't believe. And so that's the key. Double-mindedness leads to nothing. That's why the devil knows this, uh, knows this key, this spiritual principle. So what does he work so hard to do? And he's done it since the beginning. He inserts... Small words of doubt, deception, and unbelief. So that it will put you into a shaky place of not fully believing God. What is the? What are the first words that we have on record that the devil said? Said them to Eve in the garden. He said, did God really say? That was the... Right there is the question that inserted uncertainty, doubt, and unbelief into Eve's mind. Threw her into a place of double-mindedness. God had already given the command. Notice how the devil twisted the word of God. Notice how he twisted the word of God. What did he say? Did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? No, he didn't say that. That's what the devil's saying. God didn't say that. He said, you can't eat of these, just two. Notice that. But the devil twists it to try to uh, get Eve to come to the place where now she's looking at, well, see what happens? And he's still doing the same thing today, the exact same thing, the exact same thing. Did God really say, do you really believe you'll be healed? Do you really believe you'll be blessed? Do you really believe you'll be delivered? Do you really believe your family will be saved? Do you really... Does the Bible really teach that? Does the Bible really teach blessing, provision, prosperity? Does the Bible really teach healing? Is that really for today? Does God really still operate by the gifts of the Spirit? Is prophecy still real? Do you, And the devil will work hard to insert thoughts of deception and to insert thoughts of doubt and unbelief to put you into a place of double-mindedness. And that's a place of immaturity. It's a place where you cannot receive anything from the Lord. If you're standing on the word of God to believe for something supernatural to happen, then you stay on that thing. You stay on it. You stay on it. You lock your jaws on that word that God's given you and you don't let go until you see it come to pass. You don't let go. I refuse to look at anything else, believe anything else, hear anything else until it comes to pass. That's the key. And so I want you to see this today. The second area or decision that mature believers make, that immature believers do not make, is to not allow anything else into their mind and into their spirit accept what God promised and said I'm on it it's mine that's it Kelly faith never quits faith never quits I want you to put what Kelly wrote in the comments I want you to write it in the comments faith never quits how long here's the question how long are you willing to believe what God said are you willing to believe it until it comes to pass or until you hear what another specialist said. Or another friend had to say. Or another person in the Are you willing to believe it until it comes to pass? See, that's what mature believers do. Faith never quits. It keeps believing and believing and believing and believing and believing. The Bible says, though the vision tarry, wait for it. Wait for it. You see that? Wait for it. Amen. And that's the key for us. Faith never quits. You think about Elijah, who I talked about the other day when I was talking about what I feel the Lord's showing us for 2021. Elijah got a word and he heard a sound of an abundance of rain. He heard it in his spirit. As a prophet, he heard that. So he went up to the top of the mountain, put his face between his knees, and he began to pray. And what does the Bible say he did then? He sent his servant to go look toward the sea. 1 Kings 18. Go look toward the sea. Go look toward the sea. And he goes and he looks and he comes back and says, I don't see anything. I don't see anything. Well, see, every time his servant said that, and he said it six times, every time his servant said that, Elijah had an opportunity to become double-minded. Well, I guess I didn't really hear it. I guess I didn't really hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I I guess maybe that was my mind. Maybe I just imagined it. Maybe God's not really going to do that. Maybe that's really not going to come to pass. You see that? And so every time he got an external report from the natural realm, he had an opportunity to become double-minded. Here's a key that I want every one of you to catch today on the road to maturity as a believer. Every one of you, catch this today. Every time you receive a report from the world, from a friend, from a specialist, from a doctor, from a lawyer, whatever, anything that comes from outside the Word of God, every time you receive a report, it's an opportunity to become double-minded. Please see this. Anytime you receive a report, it's an opportunity to become double-minded. Let let me ask you this, and I was dealing with this again the other day. Why why do you think that the uh, children of Israel, after they left Egypt, why do you think they were marching towards the promised land? The reason is because they believed the word that God gave them. I've given you, I've given you the promised land. It's yours. Go take it. The whole reason they were moving toward it is because God said it was theirs. What then happened to them? They finally got close enough to get into the promised land and spy out the land. And what happened? When the 12 spies went in, The majority of them came back with an external report. There's giants in the land. We're grasshoppers in their sight. We don't have the ability. We don't have the ability to do that. What happened? It was an external report that came back to the assembly that the nation believed and the assembly believed. It was their opportunity to become double-minded and they did. You see that? They, that was their opportunity. As soon as they got an external report that was outside of what God said, they had an opportunity to become double-minded and they did. They believed the report of the 10 instead of the report of the two. And the report of the two was what? We are well able to take this land. Their protection is removed from them. They are bred to us. We can easily go in and take the land. Hallelujah. That was the report they should have listened to. Why? Because that one lined up with what God said. Re- believe that report. Believe the one that lines up with what God said. But what happened? They got a report that was external and they had an opportunity to become double-minded and they did become double-minded. And you know what the Bible tells us? It was 45 years later and they still hadn't gone in. From that moment where uh you know, Caleb was 40 until now Caleb's 85. 45 years. I mean seriously. Why? Because they had an opportunity to be double-minded and they took it. And what happens? According to scripture, don't let that person think they'll receive anything from the Lord. They didn't receive anything. They continued to wander. Hey, Caitlin. They kept wandering. I I want you to put in the comments, I refuse to wander. I refuse to wander. That's our word. I'm not going to miss out on what I'm supposed to receive because I received an external report and believed it over God's word and got... Became double-minded. I refuse to wander. I refuse. I'm moving into the promises of God. I'm moving into the blessings of God. I won't wander. I refuse to wander. I'm not going to be that person that 40 years from now, I'm still waiting for God to come through. I'm still, and it's not that he didn't come through. It's that I took another report and believed it and became double-minded. I will not wander. If you're part of this victory tribe, I want you to put it in the comments today. I refuse to wander. I refuse. I will. I will move into what's mine. I will move into what's mine. I want you to put it down. Put it in the comment section. Make a note if you have to. Don't forget it. I will move into what's mine. All right, let me give you number three. Number one, mature believers are self-controlled. Number two, uh, mature believers are not double-minded. They're single-minded. But let me give you number three. Number three is this. Mature believers refuse to be offended. Carrie, TJ, love you. Mature believers refuse to be offended. And this one is big this one is very big because what happens is this and this is one of the sneakiest traps one of the sneakiest traps that you could ever fall into and i'm going to show you why it's very very dangerous Huh? listen to what the bible says I'm in 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to read to you verses 19 and 20, and verse 21. 1 John 4, 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Why? Why is that the case? Because God is love. And so notice, when you move outside of love, you move outside of God. When you move... In fact, that's something you should write in your notes and never forget. The moment you move outside of love, you move outside of God because God is love. God is love. Hmm. Let me jump back up to uh, verse 7 of 1 John 4. Listen to this. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You see it. Anyone who does not love, that means take actions of love. Love is not a feeling, it's an action. It's not a feeling. (laughs) That's one of the biggest mistakes, biggest mistakes that we make in the body of Christ, thinking that love's a feeling. Well, I love them, but no. Love is not a feeling, it's an action. Put it in the comments. Love's not a feeling, it's an action. And there are multiple actions you can take in love. What does the Bible say in John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Love is not a feeling, it's an action. If you love somebody, you will do things to prove you love them. Amen. You'll do things to prove you love them. It's not just, it's not just a feeling inside your body. That's why I've, I've referenced this book multiple times on the broadcast. That book by Gary Chapman that's entitled The Five Love Languages. I'm sure you guys have heard of that book before. The Five Love Languages where he breaks down the five ways that people feel loved And the five ways that they express love. And I always forget one of them. I always leave one out. But we'll try it again. It's words of affirmation. It's spending quality time. It's acts of service. It's physical touch. And it's the giving of gifts. I got them. I got all five. Look at that. Those are the five. Those are the five. And so what what he teaches in that book is, is that. Either one or multiple of these is how you'll receive love or feel loved by someone else. And it will be the way that you show love to somebody else. Now, not everybody's the same. There's some people that feel loved when people give them gifts. Other people, they don't care about the gifts as much as they do spending quality time with that person or hearing words of affirmation from that person. And so there are multiple ways, but notice that's the way love is shown and the way it's received. Right? So understand it. Love's not a feeling, it's an action. It's an action. Even when we live toward God in love, did you ever recognize the fact that God actually receives our love in those ways? Spending quality time, we spend time with the Lord. We, words of affirmation, we praise the Lord and we worship the Lord, the giving of gifts. We give to the Lord, right? He loves to touch his children, heal them, change them. That's physical touch, acts of service. I do things on behalf of the Lord of the kingdom. See what I mean? And so it's an action. It's an action. And when you are offended, and I've dealt with this before, because this is the thing people fail to realize. Somebody could take an action of offense against you they could commit an offense if somebody says something derogatory about you they have committed an offense against you if somebody were to steal from you if somebody were to cheat you if somebody whatever those things are if somebody does that they have committed an offense against you now that that's done You have a choice to either be offended or to not be offended. Notice that that's not their choice. It's your choice. It's not their choice. It's your choice. And so the key becomes, once they commit the offense, am I going to respond by being offended? The answer for the mature believer is no, I'm not. I'm not going to choose to be offended, I will continue walking in love. Why? Because I can't get to the place where I stop loving my brothers and sisters. I can't get to that place because the moment I do, according to scripture, I've stepped outside of God for God is love. I can't do it. And let me give you another extremely important lesson here about walking in love. The Bible says, In Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 6, that faith works by love. Or one translation, faith expressing itself in love. So faith works by love. The, The thing is this, you can't walk in faith and not walk in love. It doesn't work that way. I can't refuse to walk in love but still be walking in faith. If you've never heard this, you've got to hear it. Galatians 5, 6. I cannot walk in faith or walk by faith and refuse to walk in love at the same time. It will kick me out of walking in faith or walking by faith. It's impossible to do. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But remember this, without love, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 8. I'm just telling you right now that people choose to be offended and then they get kicked right out of walking by faith and they don't even know it. They don't even know it. They don't even know it. It's a trick. If you can't see that it's a trick that keeps immature believers from receiving what God has for them, you're missing it. This is the trick. We think we, here, here's, the, here's the, the way the devil uses it we think we have a right. To be offended. That's, that's the trick. Well, that's wrong what he did to me. That's wrong what she did to me. I can't believe it. I'm upset about it. And we think because we had an offense committed against us. That we have a right to be offended. We don't. We don't. We don't get to make our own choices in the kingdom. We are servants of God. And we obey his word. And so even if somebody does commit an offense against us, I don't have a right to be offended. I have to do what the Bible says to do and forgive them and keep on loving them. Uh, The disciples said to Jesus, how often should we forgive somebody who sins against us? Seven times seven? He said, no, 70 times seven. And that's in one day. Same sin, one day. If someone commits it against you 490 times, Jesus said, you should forgive them. You should forgive them. And so here's the trick. Well, I've got a right to be offended. They did that to me. I'm the victim here. I can be upset about it. I can be the one that's offended. Now I'm not, you know, I'm going to have an issue with that person. You could, but the thing that you won't realize if you're not careful is it kicks you out. It kicks you out of walking by faith. And then what happens? If you're not walking by faith, you cannot receive the blessings of God nor please God. For the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it's like a chain reaction. If I don't have love, I can't have faith. And if I don't have faith, I can't please God. And that's the trick of the devil. If you didn't know it, that is the trick that immature believers fall for that mature believers refuse to fall for. I will not fall for that. I refuse to fall for that. I will not be offended. So number one, mature believers are self-controlled. Number two, they are single-minded. Number three, they refuse to be offended. Three areas we've covered so far on the broadcast. Number one, they are self-controlled. Number two, they are uh single-minded they're not double-minded and number three they refuse to be offended that's three of the five I'm going to give you two more hope you're taking notes number four uh, mature believers are consistent immature believers are inconsistent another way to say it faithful versus unfaithful Immature believers, they'll disappear on you for three weeks. You have no idea where they are. I'll give you the most basic example you could possibly give. They'd signed up to volunteer at church. They're supposed to help at, with the greeting or the nursery or whatever it might be. And they disappear from church for three, four, five weeks. You don't hear anything from them. Try to co- try to contact them. Hey, you were on the schedule to be in the nursery. Hey, you were on the schedule to be on the greeters. Yeah, I'm just not going to be able to make it. I got things going on. Inconsistent. Unfaithful. Inconsistent. Inconsistency is a killer. It's a killer. Oh, you were scheduled to sing on the worship team Sunday morning. Yeah, I'm just not going to be able to make it to church. I'm just kind of doing, I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life. Really? You You have so much going on in your life that you can't break away from your life for two, three hours on a Sunday morning? Really? You're not that important and you don't have that much going on. You don't have that much going on. It's funny to me what people will choose to consider important in their life. They'll go and they'll stay home. If they find a show they love on Netflix, they got time for that. If they want to go out with their friends, they got time for that. If there's a new movie in the theater they want to see, they got time for that. If they want to go work out at the gym for an hour and a half a day, they got time for that. But they don't have time for what God's called them to do. It's not, you're not that busy. You're not that busy. And so inconsistency is a killer. That is exactly, exactly what happens with immature believers. They're straight up inconsistent. But remember this, it's not just in their volunteering. They're inconsistent in every area of their life. Consistency is king. It's king. You know, it's the old uh, parable, by the way, of the tortoise and the hare. Who's heard that? The tortoise and the hare? The race, right? between the tortoise who seemed super slow and the hare who was so fast he, he thought he had the whole thing made. And so when the race began, the the rabbit took off full blast running down. But then you know what he did? He, he had such a lead on the tortoise that he said, you know what? I'm going to just sit here and take a rest. I don't need to keep running. I don't need to keep what I'm doing. I'm just going to sit here and, and take a rest. And he, and he sat down on the side uh, of the track or the road and he fell asleep and while he was sleeping his race away the the turtle who had just never stopped moving forward never stopped being consistent never stopped going ended up passing the rabbit while he was moving consistently and slowly forward and won the race not because he was faster because he was consistent you see that It's exactly right. Mackenzie makes a wonderful point, and this is great for all creatives who are watching me today. If you're a creative, then you need to write this down. Discipline eliminates the need for motivation. It's exactly right. In fact, it's so good that I want you guys to put it in the comments today. Thank you, Mackenzie, for posting that. Discipline eliminates the need for motivation. What does she mean by that? This is what she means by it. If I'm just disciplined to do something because this is what I do daily, I don't need to be motivated to do it. I just do it because it's my discipline. It's my discipline. I wake up. This is what I start my day with. It doesn't matter. I don't have to get motivated. I just don't feel like doing it. It doesn't matter if you feel like doing it or not. There's a lot of things we do that we don't feel like doing. Discipline. Eliminates the need for motivation. You see what I mean? If you'll and see that goes back to self-control, but creatives are very much like this. And I've been listen. I'm a creative, and so I've been, I've fallen prey to this myself. This is my, my own. Uh, I've had my own issues with this to where you get a lot of great ideas, you get a lot of great inspiration, you want to jump on something, you do it for a little while, but then you get another great idea, oh, now that one excites me, now this one excites me, now this one excites me, now this one excites me, and you don't stay consistent doing the thing or finishing the thing, right, that you were uh, supposed to do, and so let me just say this, and Ben knows what I'm talking about, he said guilty, I agree, and I understand it, but, but catch this with me. When we're disciplined, when we, uh, decide this is going to become a part of my day or my week, whatever, whatever, uh, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for there? Frequency, whatever frequency you choose to do something, you know, let's say maybe every day you're going to, let's say you're picking up a new skill and you say every day I'm going to spend an hour, uh, working on this skill. You know, they tell writers that by the way, I, I do a lot of the, um, studying on that because I write so much and one of the things I've read that writers successful writers they say no matter what set a goal for yourself and write that much every day if you're a novelist if you're a nonfiction writer if you're a journalist whatever it is they said set yourself a goal and write something every day not just when you're motivated to write you know if you're a professional writer I write for an hour a day. I write three pages a day. I write four paragraphs a day, whatever it might be. And you set that goal. And then whether you feel like writing or not, you know, they've said this, even in the things I've read, they said, you know what? You might write stuff one day. It's total garbage. It's total garbage. You'll never use it. It'll never see the light of day. It will never be in a book. It'll never be in a newspaper. It'll never be in a magazine or find its way onto a blog. It's total garbage. But you still wrote for an hour you still wrote four pages you still wrote five paragraphs that day and by doing that you've gotten better at doing that even though you may never use it do you know um i was doing something you know there's things i'm interested in even musically and one of the things that i've been really getting into heavily uh for the past few months is orchestral scoring now i'm never going to be uh a uh you know, a conductor, I will never, uh, I'll never, you know, conduct an orchestra, a symphony orchestra. Uh, I may never even put out uh, an orchestral album. However, it is something that will help me in the future musically, uh, not only just understanding music theory, understanding arrangement, all that stuff, but I'll, I'll actually sit down and write pieces in my studio, write orchestral pieces uh, and stuff that I'll, I may never use for anything. I may never use it You say, well, you're just sitting around wasting your time. No, I'm learning. I'm actually learning on something that's going to help me in the future. Even though those pieces may never see the light of day, I'm still creating. I'm still disciplining myself to do those things because even though it may never be, the piece may never be used, the knowledge never goes away. The discipline never goes away and the skill set never goes away. And so whatever it is that you're involved in, it's this consistency factor. What is the consistency factor? How are you building your skill set? How are you building yourself? And see, immature believers are extremely in See that? Extreme inconsistency. And the maturity level of a believer is, I'm going to, I don't care how I feel about it. See, mature believers aren't run by feelings, they're run by principles. And that'd be a great thing to write down in the comments. Mature believers are not motivated by feelings, they're motivated by principles. I am not motivated by feelings, I'm motivated by principles. That's key. So if I have a principle to do something, it doesn't matter how, how, how I feel about it, my feelings don't matter. They have... Irrelevant in irrelevant in this situation because... I am motivated not by feelings, but by principles, by principles. And so this is what I do. And the consistency of it, the consistency of it is what will make you great. It's, it's, it blows my mind. I mean, like in all honesty, the, the honeymoon phase of anything goes away by anything, anything. I mean, I I broadcast Monday through Friday daily, whether I feel like it or not. 10.30 10.30 a.m., Monday through Friday, unless there's no way I can get to the studio or a camera or a broadcast every day, whether I feel like it or not. There's days I've not felt like it. Your flesh doesn't always feel like doing things, but your principle says, yes, we do. Consistency. And let me say this also on behalf of those that are consistent. Consistency actually builds your reputation. Remember that. Consistency builds your reputation. So if people know you to be a consistent person, they know they can trust you to do what they're asking you to do. They know they can rely upon you. That means doors will then begin to open for you. If you're consistently uh, good, if you're consistently strong, if you're consistently peaceful, if you're consistently joyful, if if you're consistently, uh, uh, you know, whatever it might be, it will begin to open doors for you. You know, if you had, uh, I've just looked back, I, saw, I thought of photography, but you know, let's say that you're a photographer, but you've only ever done one wedding that looked good. <laughs> if people look at your portfolio, you have 20 weddings that look horrible in your portfolio and you've got one that looks good. Well, you're not consistently good. Why would anybody gamble the money and gamble their one their wedding day on hiring a photographer that's not consistently good? consistency builds your reputation. The better you are consistently. You know, you're not a flash in the pan. You didn't get lucky one time. You're consistently building. Slow and steady wins the race. Slow and steady wins the race. Slow and steady. And so understanding this, that every day I'm moving forward, every day I'm getting better, every day I'm going higher. Don't have days where you just... Completely let go. I was watching um, a YouTube video by a guy whose name, I believe his name is Matt Devella, I think is his name. I hadn't really seen him or heard of him before, but he has a pretty pretty good sizable following on YouTube. And he did a video um, that he entitled The Two-Day Rule, I believe it's called. The Two-Day Rule. And what he said was, Uh, He gave himself or he applied a rule to his life to where uh, he refuses to allow two days to go by in his life without doing one of the things he's principled to do or he's created as a habit to do. He said, obviously, it gives you flexibility to do other things or if you have something come up, uh, but... Keeps you from abandoning your habits, your consistency, or your faithfulness in the things you want to do. So, for example, for, with the two-day rule, he said, if, "If he said one of the things that changed his life is working out. He used to be a, a bigger guy. He was, uh, or excuse me, a, a very small guy. He, he he spent his whole life. He was scrawny. He was bone thin. He wanted. He put on like forty pounds of muscle. He he started working out and all this stuff. But he said one of the things that's protected me." from not getting away from the workout routine that really changed my life is applying the two-day rule there could be a day that I don't work out but there cannot be two days in a row that I don't work out that's his rule and so what you're not gonna just abandon your principles and abandon your habits and abandon your discipline there might be a day that I get busy and I'm doing other things that I don't work out but there will not be two days in a row that I don't do my whatever principle, habit, whatever that I'm being consistent at. Maybe you're, you're choosing to, uh, diet or something like that. There could be a cheat day, but you don't just abandon things for two days in a row. It's a two day rule. It's what he's applying. Well, what's, it's just a safeguard is all it is to stay consistent in your life. You just stay consistent. You might skip a day, but I'm not skipping two days. I'm not, I'm not skipping two days. I know the feeling, Ryan. <laughs> Fifty unfinished songs. You just take a day and you say, I'm gonna go in there and develop my ideas, continue developing my ideas. I've had to do that. But what is it? It is me deciding that I refuse to jump off of my consistency. There might be a day here, might be a day here, but on the regular, I'm doing these things. Not skipping them. I'm calling by self-control, by maturity in the kingdom. There might be a day, you might get busy, do a thing. There might be a day that you you didn't read your Bible. But you're not going to let it happen two days in a row. You see what I mean? And so there are things that believers will do that are mature daily. They're self-controlled. They're consistent. It's not just about being self-controlled enough to do something one time. It's consistency over time. You know, that's why if you've ever seen... um, Mackenzie asks, "Do you find a reward system for yourself works if you're trying to build consistency? It hasn't worked for me. It never's worked for me either, because um, I've never seen something in all honesty, this this might sound funny. but like, for me, because I I don't know if it's because I enjoy production for production's sake. but like when I produce something, I feel, maybe it's because we are created to produce as believers. but when I, when I complete something or create something or produce something, I feel a high of fulfillment and, 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 um, it's, it's like a, uh, you, you, feel fulfillment in that production in the completion of the production. That's the thing that, it, that excites or stimulates me to keep going is that I've felt the completion. I've felt the fulfillment and I know what that's like to continue to produce. So I know where I'm headed. And even if I break it down into bite-sized chunks of fulfillment, it's like, if I'm writing I will almost never, here's, I guess, Mackenzie, this would be the key. I almost never uh, work on something uh, and stop working on it halfway through, right? For, so, for example, Mackenzie, like, if I'm writing a book, this is normally how I work, like, in, 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 real, in real life, if I'm writing a book, if I sit down to write, I will write a chapter because that's a form of completion i will sit down and write a chapter of a book and then i'll and and it'll be done and then you feel that uh that's a that's a mode of completion i feel the push i feel the fulfillment i nailed a chapter in a day and it's done if if i have to break it down smaller than that because it's something big i may go and say okay i know this chapter is going to be long like 25 30 pages but I am going to complete an entire section. So you know we have in the books that I write, I have subheadings through that throughout the chapter. i will go to say today I am going to knock out an entire subheading of that chapter until it's completely done and I can move on. And so what happens is I always I always create a self-contained goal, even even in the midst of a bigger goal, so that I can say you know what I feel that that feeling of completion. Uh, in that goal, so it doesn't matter what it is, and then that feeling of completion and production—it's a push to keep doing things. For example, that's why we've dealt with this before. Uh, even like it's the it's the system that uh, Dave Ramsey, who's a financial planner, it's the system Dave Ramsey um, suggests that people use to pay off their debt. He calls it the debt snowball. He says instead of looking at your debts in what is the most the highest interest to lowest interest he said don't line them up like that line them up from smallest balance to highest balance he said because what ends up happening is you build motivation as you see debts disappearing so what are you doing you're completing something you're fulfilling it so like you know you might have all you may have six debts one of them's forty thousand dollars but you got one that's four hundred dollars but even though the forty thousand dollar one Uh, may have, uh, you know, whatever, a higher uh, interest rate, doesn't matter. His, his suggestion is take the smallest one, put everything towards that $400 debt until it's gone. And then what happens is you see that debt eliminated and it motivates you to keep going because fulfillment or completion builds motivation. And that's, that really McKenzie would have to be, uh, my it would be my, my system because I feel that motivation in completion and in production. And so I, I, I encourage that in, in different areas of life as well. And so mature believers will be consistent and immature believers extremely inconsistent. Let me give you the final one here uh, before uh, we pray today. And that is this, mature believers versus immature. Mature believers will be led by the Spirit. Mature believers are led by the Spirit. Immature believers refuse to be. Many times, they're so immature that they will literally not even hear the voice of the Spirit. Justin said, I heard a minister say, consistency, can you scroll back up to that? Consistency will produce more results than intense effort. And that's exactly right. It's exactly right. Because uh, intense effort cannot last long so for example you can only sprint for so long but you can walk for long periods of time you know that you can only sprint for uh, personally i can't sprint for very long (laughs) but i am so for example what i stopped doing and what i started doing for for exercise daily i stopped trying to run because i couldn't run for a very long time i could run for like 20 minutes you know, 20, 30 minutes, that was was it. But I can go outside and briskly walk for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And then what ends up happening is you end up burning more calories because you're doing it for a long period of time and your heart rate stays, stays higher longer and overall it becomes better for your body. And so you start to understand consistency does produce more results than intense effort because you can't live a whole life of intense effort. It doesn't work that way. But you can live a life of consistency. You can live a life of consistency. Um, I think one, somebody had the quote one time, which was, uh, if you'll show me someone's habits, I will tell you their future. If you show me someone's habits, I will tell you their future. Because everything is based upon the consistent habits that you have going on in your life. It's like what Christians who get hyper-spiritual about everything, uh, they'll look at things and say, well, see, there's there's a generational curse going on in my family. No, many times it's just learned behaviors that have become consistent bad habits that produce consistently generational bad results. Don't say that there's a demon of type 2 diabetes running through your family that you need to have that curse broken when you wake up every morning and, and eat biscuits and gravy and have you know two, three glasses of orange juice, overload your pancreas, and fill your body with insulin until your blood cells reject it. It's not a demon. It's consistent bad habits that destroy your body. It's not a generational curse. It is consistent bad habits that, that are bringing out consistent bad results. I'm not saying there's not such a thing as a spirit of infirmity. There is. But most people are not battling the devil. They're battling themselves. And I want you to write that in the comments because it's huge. Most people, I would say 90% of Christians, are not battling the devil or demons. They're battling themselves. They're battling themselves. It's what happens. And they don't do the things I'm teaching today and they end up in a problem. And the reason they end up in a problem is because they don't take self-control seriously. they don't take being double-minded seriously, they don't take walking in love seriously, they don't take consistency seriously. It's exactly right, because when you understand that the devil's been stripped of his authority and stripped of his power, and Jesus said, "I've given you all authority over all the power, I've given you authority over all the power of the devil, and nothing shall by any means hurt you." So what is, what is the scripture telling us? The devil doesn't have authority over my life. He doesn't have authority over the Christian. Once you get that, it opens your eyes. The devil doesn't have authority over my life. So how could he derail my future? Think this with me today. Think this with me. This one thought. If the devil does not have authority over you, How can he derail your future? How can he steal your blessings? How can he... You know how? By what we said at the beginning. Deceiving you into thinking, speaking, or doing something that contradicts God's word. That's exactly how. And most people aren't willing to be led by the Spirit, which is number five, by the way, if you're taking notes. Number five... Being led by the Spirit makes you a mature believer. Makes you a mature believer. You're led by the Spirit. You don't decide to do your own things. You're not sitting around uh, wondering what you should do next. People consult the Lord. They consult the Lord. Let me show you an extreme example of this in 1 Samuel 31. Go there with me. 1 Samuel 31. Very interesting thought here. Or excuse me, 1 Samuel 30. Go back to 1 Samuel 30 in verse 1. The Bible says, Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag, and they'd overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire, and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. And they killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. Verse three, and when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. And David was greatly distressed for the the people spoke of stoning him, which will distress you. Because the people were bitter in soul. For all their sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, watch this next part, because most people would just say, well, if that's the case, I'm going to turn into Liam Neeson and go and get my son and daughter that was taken. No. Listen to verse 7. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord. He asked the Lord what to do. Shall I pursue after this band? shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out. You see that. David didn't just decide to set out. He said, I need to hear from the Lord on this. Mature people hear from the Lord. I need to hear from the Lord. The average person, hey, if they took my Son, they took my daughter, they took my wife, I'm going back to get them. David was smart enough to know, if the Lord's not on my side, I'm not going. If he's not with me, I'm not going. And so I want you to hear this today, that mature believers are led by the Spirit of God, led by the Holy Ghost. Immature believers, led by the natural, led by the flesh, led by their soul, led by their feelings. Mature believers led by the Spirit of God. It's huge. It's huge. And see, here's the difference. When you operate, just literally, just these five things we talked about today, just five, if you would just make these your normal, do you realize that you would be head and shoulders above the rest? Head and shoulders above the rest. Just by doing what? Just by being self-controlled, Just by being single-minded, just by being uh, someone who cannot be offended, just by being consistent, and just by being led by the Spirit. Five things, and they're simple things. They may be a little less simple in practice, because your flesh fights back against them, but that's what everybody faces. Everybody faces. What do you think? Let me ask you a question. What do you think is better will get you better results. Going to the gym and lifting heavy one day a week or lifting something six days a week? The answer is lifting something six days a week. Splitting it up. Focusing intensely on sections of your body. But being consistent. Every day doing something. Every day doing something. It's the key. And that is how believers should think about their calling, their purpose, their life, and their future is that I've got to think, what can I be doing today? And I'll tell you, because I'll tell you this from my own personal life experience. If you will build this in to your personality, build this into your life, you will start to have a lifestyle where if you're not producing something, if you're if you're if you've gotten out into like a nebulous place where you're not nothing's getting done, it will begin to frustrate you. It will begin to annoy you. And you'll start to feel that when you when you start what I was talking about earlier, when you use that feeling of completion and fulfillment as your reward system, the moment you step out of production and you step out, you'll start to feel that it's almost like a drain. That's why even if I'm out doing stuff, I can't just be doing nothing. Like, I have the hardest time with that. Like, I can't just do nothing. Yeah, my father said that. Try to do at least one thing a day. Focus on one thing a day. Get it done. But what I found is that, you know, I don't relax by doing nothing. Like, that's not relaxing to me. Because if you have that mindset of, I'm always moving forward. I'm always moving forward. I'm always moving forward. Then doing nothing doesn't relax you. And it doesn't relax me. Like I can't just do nothing. My mind has to at least be active. My body can be doing nothing, but my mind cannot be doing nothing. I can't just shut. You know, I don't, I don't know that I'm even, or any person really for that matter is just, is designed to be shut off. I mean, in all honesty, is there anybody else like that in the comment section, throw a hand up I've got to be doing something, at least with my mind. Like, I don't do nothing. I don't just drive and zone out. You know, even if I'm on long trips. I'm listening to a podcast. I'm listening to an audio book. I'm I'm not designed to be doing nothing. You're not designed to do nothing. You're designed to progress, to move forward, to increase. And that takes a, a level of dedication. And so I want to pray. See, because... I I told you this before, it's not going to be everybody that steps into this in the new year. It wasn't everybody that walked in violent increase and expedited favor in this year. Not everybody did. My my wife and I talked about that. There were plenty of people that we saw posting online that were not walking in violent increase, not walking in expedited favor. Not saying that to condemn them. I'm just saying that I understand It's not going to be for everybody. It's going to be for the people that take it by faith and by consistency and by faithful action. And so that's why I say for the faithful. I always qualify my statement with that phrase. For the faithful. It's what we're going to see. Maturity is necessary to be one of the faithful. It's necessary. And so I want to pray for you because I'm praying that God you know, this is an odd prayer to pray, but I'm going to pray it anyway, anyway, because, and I don't know if I've ever prayed this way, but there's a verse of scripture that I'm going to read to you before I pray it. And you're, you know, the scripture because you've heard it many times, but we're going to focus on a different portion of that scripture than we, than people normally do in church. Let me give you one last scripture. First This is a little treat for those that stayed to the end. 1 Peter 5, 8. Listen to this. The Bible says, Be sober-minded and watchful or vigilant. For your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Notice he can't devour everybody, but only the ones that are not sober and vigilant. Sober and vigilant. 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 That's the word I'm focusing on here vigilant. I'm going to pray that God puts a drive in you that cannot be hindered. The more Christians I meet, the more I realize that far too few people are driven to accomplish something for the Lord. Most people allow their flesh to take over, they get lazy. They fall to the wayside. They they put life on cruise control. Not the faithful. I'm going to pray that God puts a drive in you. A drive. So that you'll be vigilant, diligent. We need that. We need people in the body of Christ that have a drive to accomplish what God's called them to do. Not to put it into cruise control. Not to fade away. Run. Run. And that's what we're going to do in 2021. We're going to run with new momentum and new strength and new force in Jesus' name. So, Father, I'm praying right now for every person watching. I pray today that you would impart to them a new drive of forceful diligence, faithfulness, consistency to do what we're called to do in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that we would not be satisfied living like the rest of the world lives. Just cruising through life, doing the bare minimum to survive. Put a drive in our spirit to work hard and to accomplish by your favor and your strength what we're called to accomplish. Lord, we will be the faithful that step into this kind of a blessing. We will be the faithful that walk in the goodness and mercy that others seem to find uh, not reachable. Lord, let us be those that you lift head and shoulders above the rest. For promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or the south, but it comes from the Lord. So we thank you, Lord, that you're the one that decides who will rise and who will fall. Let us be found faithful before November comes to an end, to rise to a new level. In this final month of the year coming up December, let us rise with a new strength, new power, new increase. In Jesus' mighty name, give us that drive. Give us that uh, diligence and that vigilance that we need in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody shout aloud, amen and throw some hands up and some fire in the comments section if you believe it with me today. And let me encourage you to take this Breakthrough Friday and to sow a seed and partner with me and Carolyn. You've not done it yet, do it. If you have done it before, sow a seed again. Believe God. increase. Believe God that your finances will be at a whole nother level, a whole nother level. You know, the beginning of this um, uh, year when I was in Georgia, uh, brother Jeff sent his testimony in January that, and I believe they just moved, but they just signed, he signed one contract in January. One. As, as the Lord gave me that word, we started preaching that violent increase, expedited favor. Signed one contract that tripled his income for the year. One in January. Tripled his income. Start deciding. I'm going to step into the overflow. I'm going to step into unbelievable. I mean, when the world sees it, they won't be able to explain it. They won't be able to believe it. What God's doing for me. Very easy to sow a seed. Go to miracleword.com. There's multiple ways that you can sow. Cash app, Venmo, PayPal, hashtag donate, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitter, not on YouTube, but on those other three you can. At MiracleWord.com, you can sow not only a one-time seed, but we want to encourage you to partner monthly with this ministry. Set up something that you know God will allow you to do every single month, that He's empowering you to stand with us as we get ready to touch this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the world. And that's what gets me excited is that we're going to do more in one year than we've done in the history of our ministry. Mind-blowing. And God opened the door. And so thank you. And thank you, Anne, for sowing a seed. For those of you that are sowing for the month of November, my friend, Pastor Joel Stockstill, dropped a book that I love entitled The Power of Daily Bible Reading. We're going to get that to you as your gift. If you will, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer. Fill out the form. Let us know where to mail the book. And for your seed of $85 or more in the month of November, we're going to send that to you as our way of saying thank you. And then, of course, there's, there are people that God's speaking to to sow large seeds, $1,000, $5,000, $10,000. Everybody that's doing that, we're not only going to send you this book, but at the same time, we're going to also send you uh, this hardcover edition of Further Faster, as well as This life application study Bible, genuine leather edition, two more things, bam, as our gift to you. Also, don't forget, those of you that are already a part of Miracle Word University, we've got a brand new one dropping on Monday. It's Divine Prosperity. It's coming out Monday, this coming Monday. On the 23rd of November, Walking in Supernatural Financial Abundance, all of our courses are available at MiracleWordU.com. This one is the most extensive course we've released yet. Over eight hours of teaching in one course, Uh, normally it's about five hours, this one's longer, it's more extensive, uh, more videos, you don't want to miss it. This one is going to blow your hair back you're going to enjoy it very much look at blew mine back already just from recording the course wonderful <laughs> guys have a wonderful and a powerful weekend i will see you again next week thank you for hanging with me today i feel like going into the weekend with a little believer size there's no better way to do it than to get our calories burnt while waiting on the coming of the lord we love you guys have a great one i'll talk to you very soon believer size